Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. My economic plan is about investing in places and people that have been forgotten. So many of you listen to me tonight. I know you feel it. So many of you felt like you've just simply been forgotten. Amid the economic upheaval of the past four decades, too many people have been left behind and treated like they're invisible. Maybe that's you watching from home. Remember the jobs that went away. You remember them, don't you? The folks at home remember them. You wonder whether the path even exists anymore for your children to get ahead without having to move away. Well, that's why I get that. That's why we're building an economy where no one's left behind. Jobs are coming back. Pride is coming back. Because choices we made in the last several years. You know, this is my view of blue collar blueprint to rebuild America and make a real difference in your lives at home. So there you go, Murphy and Gibbs. We, uh, another State of the Union in the books. And I have to say that uh, the old guy came through. Uh, that way he, he uh, you know, wherever, maybe the bar was set low, but he way cleared it. He had a really good night last night. I'm shocked, shocked you'd think that. But actually, you're right. You're right. You're not being a partisan dem here. You're doing it the right. way we do it on Hacks on Tap, telling the truth. Look, I, you know, look, he's Biden. He's not Pericles the orator. So there, there are going to be limits. But with the tools he had. Although he knows, he knew Pericles. Oh, yeah. in fact, he was a mentor to Pericles. It's like the old <laughs> joke. He's so old, he, dis he discovered the Beatles, not the band, the insect. But uh, boom. Uh, so, but anyway, look, I, I always look at these things on three quick axes. One is the optics of it all, and I thought pretty good. To the moment, well, the Republicans walked right into a haymaker sucker punch, and he boxed them in pretty well in Social Security. You know, and then he had the heckling issue. It was like a bachelorette party at a bad comedy club, with, you know, crazy shrieking from the back. That that was all good for him. And finally, what are they trying to get done with this thing? Because it won't move numbers. They never do. But it sets up the narrative and tells the party troops what they're for. And he's moving back to the Biden of his successful presidential campaign. Middle class, ham and eggs, meat and potatoes, economic stuff. Even did the Clinton trick where he pulls up hungry the, here. The, the, the old dry cleaning thing. You know, those hotel fees. Uh, but. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? That that stuff lands. It works. It works. So I, on the politic positioning, I give him an A on performance. I give him a B plus. All in all, very good night. He was punchy. He was energetic. Uh, I thought maybe the strongest moments were ad libs, uh, stuff that oh, abs uh, absolutely stuff that clearly clearly he wanted in the text, and the speechwriters wouldn't put in. So he said, "Sure, don't put it in. I'll add it in later." Uh, and and to your point, Murphy, he got into a, a little tactical jujitsu with uh, with Republicans. Uh, I thought the Republican behavior of heckling him also plays well into his hand, particularly as he starts the speech by being bipartisan. But I think you're absolutely right, Murphy. The, the biggest point was he's not going to move numbers with this speech. We're sort of past that in States of the Union, but he laid out an economic blueprint and an agenda and a vision that feels like something we're going to hear every single day for the next two years. 
up into uh, and and throughout the 2024 election. So to that degree, I think it, it was successful because it was important to lay out that thematic and to begin to set up those choices. Yeah, and program his troops about what it's about. And he finally hit the chips thing big, which politically is a move I've been waiting for them to make. This thing about ad libs, first of all, if you guys were preparing for this speech, one of the things that you would count on is there was going to be some heckling. There was going to, you know, he because this is now in the DNA of the House Republicans. And so you plan for that. And they played right into his hands. You know, totally. Gibbs, you, you and I were in the chamber in 2009 when uh, a representative stood up and yelled, you lie at President Obama. And that guy was roundly rebuked by Republicans and Democrats. John McCain yeah. led the chorus and he ended up apologizing. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, this is what we do here. We we heckle, we scream. Poor Ken McCarthy is up there, you know, sort of shushing yeah. them and they're laughing at him. He's like the substitute teacher that everybody throws gum at. Uh, <laughs> so those moments yeah. were so valuable for Biden because to see him on a big stage kind of command the moment was really important for you know, for people who have doubts about his acuity or his ability yeah. to carry the day. Now, how, you know, the, 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 the stick-to-itiveness of all of this is something else because, you know, the history of these things is, you know, they ha you, you get a quick rush and then they sort of fade. But as you point out, he also laid the groundwork for a very, for a strong message that, that to me sounds like what the Democratic message should be talking to people in the middle of the country and not just in Tony parlors on the coasts. <laughs> I'm sorry, the old, I'm always a sucker for the old, yes, yeah, sipping your white wine in the mansions of, yeah, look, I agree that with all that. shit happens, man. Take my word for it. Oh, well, I remember when I, in the old days, I'd said something, I think on Meet the Press and Rush Limbaugh went nuts. So, of course, I get a relative or two in northern Michigan calling me up. Hey, Rush, is Roy going after you? Says all you do is hang out at Georgetown cocktail parties. So I couldn't resist sending Rush a note, which was, you know, the last time I was at a fancy Georgetown restaurant with a $400 bottle of wine, I was having dinner with you, Rush, <laughs> your permanent table there. I'm out here in real American, Los Angeles. <laughs> right. Hollywood. <laughs> where all the middle yeah. class people live. Yeah, well, well, actually, these days, if you look into the industry, starting writers and character actors are all starving. The world of middle class, it's either the very top or people who can't make a living. But that is not our purview. Union, union, <laughs> hey, union. Hey, who, uh, who on this podcast is a card-carrying member because they gave me no choice you, of Mike two Murphy. unions right here? Yes, so I brother, brother yes. let me tell you, my calloused hands from hitting the spell check key on my type of Writers Guild of America. Just so we're clear, if uh, people can't see us, we can see each other. And I can assure nobody on this podcast is starving. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Gibbs <sighs> is wearing his Eric Hoffer watch cap this morning. I don't know. I said, I think that we got a new wrapper, almond milk. But to, back to the, the deal. I agree. This was a very reelect focused deal. You can almost hear the meeting. All right. You know who hates us? Us Democrats? Who? Working class white guys, blue collar men, their families. So you know what? They kind of like Biden. Let's let's serve that up and work that work that angle. And they pounded on that. 
They pounded on all the middle-class economic stuff we've been talking about forever, which is where they got to go to fight off a populist Republican. So, you know, is it happy days are here again? No, but I thought it was very much lined up back on the path that got them there, off from the lefty crazy stuff. And so, look, there's a long campaign yet to go. He still is old. It's a thing. But but I don't think he could have done himself much more good. I mean, yeah, he can give a better speech, but he can't. You know what I mean? He's With the Biden toolbox, that's about the best house you're going to build. Now, I think they cleverly spent a couple of years setting themselves up by setting the bar low. And then he it's like Rocky, you know, 14 rounds, and he fights right-handed, and then it turns out he's a lefty, and he right. unveils the left hand in the final round. You know, he, that was about as good a speech as I've ever heard Biden give. At a moment when he really needed it. If you're thinking last going into last night that that he has two sort of political weaknesses, one which you mentioned, Murphy, is that uh, or both of you that he's uh, you know he's not uh, he's not 62 anymore. Long in the tooth, <laughs> I think, is what we. He's say. not 72 anymore. But go ahead. <laughs> but I think uh, I, you can't watch last night and think, okay, that guy was confused. He was energetic. He was giving. He was part of the give and take. Uh, he, he looked very much in and, that and moment. he gave more than he took. Absolutely did. And then I think secondly, uh, he understands that as all presidents, I think, struggle with, which is they somebody hands them, and, and the White House even distributed this yesterday, uh, all this different statistics on a piece of paper so that you can count off uh, the number of uh, unemployment claims on average and all these different numbers. But it isn't about a series of numbers that make people feel one way or the other about the economy. It's it's how they live it. It's how they breathe it. It's how they exist in it. And I think there's still an enormous amount of anxiety out there. And he, he touched on it. And he sort of said, like, hey, look, this is the job I'm going to finish. This is our mission. You know, and it's it's not just, hey, we're going to we're going to take a bunch of people that got unemployed and it's still mill and make them computer computer programmers. It's yeah. blue collar uh, jobs, as you mentioned, Murphy, in chips factories, uh, bringing those supply chains back home. So, I, I, again, I, I give him a, a really strong grade. I bet the White House is thrilled this morning. Yeah. Just not to be the East German judge, though, for a minute. There, I'll give him a couple of tickets on the uh, successful race. Thing was too long and a bit repetitive. He kind of lost some energy after about an hour and five, ten minutes. You know, could have been, I think, a little shorter and tighter, particularly the last 30 minutes. And I think he could have got a bigger, better soundbite out of, out of the balloon. Uh, that, one's, that one was ready for a layup and blown opportunity. But these are all misdemeanors. Fundamentally, he had the center positioning again. Watched his flank on cops, which, again, is uh, not everybody in his party's ready for. Let's get into some of that because one of the artful things that he did was he he handled the police violence issue, the Tyree issue with the parents in the balcony, handled it really, really well because he, in a riveting way, described the experience of parents in these communities and the fears that they have uh, for their children. But he was very, very careful. And he, he actually, I think, ad-libbed a line saying that, you know, uh, policemen deserve to leave their homes knowing they're going to come home safe at night, and so do all of us. Mm-hmm. He ad-libbed that line, but then he, he had more to say about police. I know most cops and their families are good, decent, honorable people, the vast majority. But they risk. 
And they risk their lives every time they put that shield on. But what happened to Tyree in Memphis happens too often. We have to do better. Give law enforcement the real training they need. Hold them to higher standards. Help them succeed in keeping us safe. We also need more first responders and professionals to address the growing mental health substance abuse challenges. More resources to reduce violent crime and gun crime. More community intervention programs. More investment in housing, education, and job training. All this can help prevent violence in the first place. When police officers or police departments violate the public trust, they must be held accountable. It was so interesting to hear him balance the two. He was not going to get caught up in the defund police lane. He was not going to be caught up in the disrespect for police lane. And yet he struck a balance and he had everybody in the room applauding at one point. It seems to me, David, this is just that passage was quintessentially Joe Biden, right? His his sort of political ethos is trying to bring different people together to understand that each of them has uh, something that's right in their perspective and that they can join together and meet in the middle. It's infused with empathy. And I thought it was just a really strong, great moment for him, as you yeah. said, to, to have enough out there that everybody could stand up and agree on. Wh- whether they get anything done legislatively on this, I think we're probably all very pessimistic. But I think he, you know, the, I thought the one of the more memorable lines in the last State of the Union was walking away very visibly from defund the police, and this extended that line. The big moment, Murphy. Was, yeah, let's go uh, to that. The drunken bachelorette party at the Chucklehead. You know, he knew what he was going to be facing there, and uh, he did get the pushback. It came on uh, a uh, point he was making about Social Security and Medicare. Uh, He was referring to the plan that Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, threw out uh, during the last campaign that would have sunset uh, all federal programs, including Social Security and Medicare. And Well, just to interject before we go to the tape, I would give $1,000 to have had an extra camera angle on Mitch McConnell during that with this little smile breaking out, hating Rick Scott who challenged him and has now been appropriately punished. Uh, Because, you know, uh, you you could see the counter reactions and all these hecklers forget the first rule of this, which the the person on the stage, Biden has the microphone. So it sounds like, and then he can just unload on him. And that's, well, anyway, let's listen to it. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if... If Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, (laughs) folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks, 
So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now. Right? Yeah. And then a guy said, let's stand up for seniors. And he had everybody standing up. Right. He, he just walked them right into the buzzsaw. And the, the, the noisy third of them ran right in. I know the smarter heads were like, oh, hell, these idiots. But it, it worked for him. And now he's got a reference point. Well, I heard the solemn pledge they all made. We agree on Social Security. It, it, it was very good ad-lib politics. You could tell he knew he was scoring, which was fun. But you saw the Irish smile because he's been waiting to kind of address them like the principal to the, you know, put them on the gym, sit them down, shut them up. And I'm going to talk to him about stealing the damn, you know, goalpost. Yeah. And so, and they just walked right into the Jackie Chan routine. Well, one of the things that, occurred to me when I was watching all this is this guy spent half his life in that building. You know, I think he's pretty comfortable in that building and on the, that stage. Uh, you know, he was involved in debates for 36 years in the Senate. Uh, he looked absolutely comfortable up there, which is really, really what was very, very, uh, impactful. Uh, you know, you guys mentioned the, um, uh, earlier, the sort of blue collar emphasis of this, one of the, one of the, part of the art of uh, writing these speeches is not to allow them to devolve into kind of disconnected laundry lists, but to weave what you've done and what you want to do into a vision uh, of where you want to go that is value laden. And he checked all those boxes uh, last night. Um, and, uh, the, the, the blue collar blueprint, uh, was, was part of that. But, you know, my concern going in was that he would, uh, uh, that he would, because he, you know, he is rightly, I think, um, uh, frustrated that, you know, there was a Washington Post poll on Monday. Most people don't think he got has gotten anything done and he has a fairly substantial, not fairly, he has a substantial record. <clears throat> of accomplishment and legislative achievement, and and it hasn't broken through. So you know the concern was that it would just be an hour of him crowing about achievements without any thematic threat, which he's done before. He's capable of doing it the wrong way, but that was yeah. not the case last night. No, no, I thought they they wove it together. Uh, the one place where I thought that they did not, or where he did not. And where he probably fell flat was uh, on the issue of uh, inflation. And he talked about how inflation's coming down in the last six months. And I could just see people at home kind of rolling their eyes at that. You can't jawbone people into feeling better, you know. And uh, when they go and get, uh, buy a, a dozen eggs, you know, it kind of belies what he's telling them. And that's where statistics fail you where you try and use them to persuade people that, hey, you know, the problems that you feel are, are actually not as bad as you think. <laughs> yeah, that's the it's the tough part of being president and being uh, giving this speech. I think that my, my guess is that that line ages much better than it might have sounded last night uh, in three to six months as you continue to see this. And to your point, David, I mean, I, I, Let's hope the and, president does as well. Yeah, you and I both having been in that building and watching these speeches and, and working on these speeches understand, as, as you talked about, that um, 
there's a tremendous inertia in the, that building and in the bureaucracy to load it up with everything that every important or seemingly yeah, important person has been working on. Hey, I need my line. I need my paragraph. I need my it's program. It's unbelievable. I mean, I can tell you, and you, you probably know this as well, you were probably part of a petition, uh, you know, a target of petitioners, but yeah. you almost have to take out protection orders on some of these <laughs> bureaucrats who want a paragraph, a sentence. No, a look, clause. the Department of Fisheries. Yes, if we exactly. don't get our three lines on the Coho Gazunga yeah. uh, fish, we had that. You know, we had that controversy. You literally get chased down hallways. <laughs> did you really fisheries? A yeah, fisheries we had a fisheries. Thing. Yeah, we we did. Yeah, yeah, we we hatched that. Yeah, <laughs> and of course Obama stabbed America's anglers in the back. I'll bet you know by ignoring that important line. We, uh, but you literally are chased down uh, the hallway. But the other thing that we learned in addition to not doing that, and I don't think we ever kind of let the bureaucrats win on that, is um, that is this issue of don't over, you, you need to hook up with people where they are, where they are. And, you know, we were so frustrated back in uh, 2009, 2010, because the country was indisputably making progress, but we were making progress from a a very, very dire situation, and people didn't feel the progress. So, so if you overclaim, you know, they basically say, "Well, screw you." Uh, you know, you, you're you're just a BS, out of touch politician, and uh, you know, I think he largely avoided that trap last night, and that was, uh, I thought that was really good. I have a question for Gibbsy here. It also struck me that I always think about what the internal meeting dynamics were that drove it. And I think somebody said, look, nobody knows the stuff we've done. So we got to use this speech to align the party that we have greatest hits. We got to play them. And second, if we succeed at that, we're going to start moving the right track a little, assuming the economy isn't going to crash and creeping back. So that struck me in political jargon very much as a give a shove. Uh, accomplishments, but the real goal here is to get the right track, wrong track, political jargon for the people think the country's on the wrong direction, they got to fire the politicians or right direction he's doing okay. And there are there are cases of presidents who started a campaign with conventional wisdom thinking, you're going to lose, look how big the wrong track is, and they push hard, and they, I think, to some extent in the second Obama term, um, and they get some results. Do you think that was the, the core play here? I do think so. I think, and again, I think they laid out, I mean, you can tell that they understand legislating is largely over, right? Because it yeah. wasn't a laundry list of proposals they're sending to Capitol Hill, right? It's a lot of implementation of what they were, what they've already done, which is a way of kind of circling back to hitting some of those accomplishments. Um, you know, and I think they understand that even though there's, you know, economic approval weakness uh, in, in his numbers now, um, you know, I think what we are going to have to look at is the 2022 results and understand that maybe 2024 is going to be slightly different, right? And if Joe Biden is at 40% on the economy, it doesn't mean that he's going to lose that question automatically because uh, there's the dynamic of a comparison. And I think they began to set up those comparisons with House Republicans and then ultimately with a Republican nominee in order to try to move, as you said, Murphy, th those larger numbers. So I, I thought from a from a tactical standpoint, it was really, really well done. Let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. If you're a business owner that likes to jump to the news highlights, you'll love Indeed. 
With Indeed Instant Match, you can instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Hiring? You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. You hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. That's something, Gibbs. Yeah, and if you're having trouble finding good candidates, you want something that puts them in front of you quickly. You want to be able to interview them because you want to be able to put them to work. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. That's amazing. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Look, one of the things you need in hiring is you need it to be efficient. You need it to be cost-effective because you're running your own business. And the great thing is Indeed knows that. Visit Indeed.com hacks to start hiring today. What's that uh, URL there, Gibbs? Visit Indeed.com hacks. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You guys both talk about the populist nature of this. I want to play this, and I don't want Murphy to take <laughs> umbrage at it because you know, oh, the class war here it no, comes. No, no, or no, after no, my no. wallet, look, I don't, yeah. I do not, in any way, begrudge the fact that you're a billionaire. Damn right. You know how hard the tobacco industry is to work in. I want you to pay your fair share, and so does Joe Biden. Well, question is, my fair share fifty four percent. You know, but anyway, go ahead. Nobody, nobody told you to live in California, man. Well, I'm trying to save it from your party, but keep going. Let's 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 set it up, and I'll heckle you afterward. Okay, Marjorie, <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, play the clip, will you? Pass my proposal for the billionaire minimum tax. You know, there's a thousand billionaires in America. It's up from about six hundred in the beginning of the term, but no billionaire should be paying a lower tax rate than a school teacher or firefighter. Okay, Daddy Warbucks, let's hear your response. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, uh, it, it, in I, populism. I, I guarantee it, you that it, was hang by on, the let, way me, that, let me get my okay, response off. What we got to do is tax verbosity. Then the deficit is gone. This podcast will wipe I out. want you to pay me a million dollars for the opportunity to respond. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, that would leave me if about 440000 after tax. So you can't debate economics in a populist frame. Uh, l let me... Uh, say that that well i'm just asking a political question well the famous example is based not on taxes paid you know the wealthy pay about 80 percent of, of income taxes it's about what the tax rate is so there's a rhetorical trick there but people look they thump the desk and they hear that's right nurse and a cop shouldn't you know should always pay less 
Um, and they should also get a ton of entitlements, which is the ugly thing nobody wants to talk about because that's where all the votes are. So politically, I get it. I get that it is a winner. It's just not particularly good policy. Yeah, I was going to say, and I apologize because you invited you to respond, and then I cut you off immediately, as people have become accustomed to here on <laughs> Hacks on Tap. But, <laughs> but I guarantee you that that was one of the top three best testing lines in oh, the yeah, speech. Oh, yeah, of course. That's yeah. why it's there. You know, yeah. and we can... And, and I'm sure you'll hear more of it. And it does put... Uh, I mean, it, it's a hard one for uh, Republicans to parry. No, it's brilliant politically because it's like, all right, let's, let's, as Thatcher would say, the problem with socialism is eventually run out of other people's money, but there's still some other people's money left to, left to get. And when you tell 90% of the people, you know what the real problem is? You need more and take from them. You know, Robin Hood didn't get booed a lot. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's one yeah. one and bash those big corporations. They're the problem. And, you know, in this economics, nobody's ever heard of carry forward losses either. You know, these corporations, anyway, don't, don't get me started, but I, I don't want, want to impugn your clients. You know, we <laughs> would have policy wonks here, but I mean, I think just on the face of it, you know, when you see Amazon paying no taxes, other large corporations that are clearly profitable, it's offensive to people. I, 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 no, look, you know, I, I get it, but where do those Amazon profits go? That's my question. Is there a room somewhere or the executives all just take them home and, and buy gold toilet seats? That, that's always my question on that one. Well, what happens is Amazon constantly takes the forward cash flow and builds new things, employing people. You know, it, it, their, their ta- profits are taxed. In fact, for you and your vast stock portfolio, you get taxed twice. The profits get taxed, then they come to you in dividends or if you sell stock capital gains, and you get taxed again, even though the money you bought that stock with, unless it's in a tax-deferred account, is taxed the first time. But, but anyway, we're, we're due the tax hour Gibbs, later. We don't- Gibbs, <laughs> Gibbs you're a refugee from corporate America. Tell us how it really works. I feel like there should be an H&R Block commercial in here about now where we could yeah. s- where you can send to do your easy taxes. They, they should sponsor us. You know, we disagree on tax policy, but when it but, comes to yeah. squeezing yeah. that nickel out of your return, they're yeah. a client of mine, or they were, by yeah, the yeah. way, so that's an excellent right. idea. I mean, again, to, to sort of sit in the middle here, I think you've got – a proposal that's never going to pass, but the president's probably okay with that just as long as he gets to keep mentioning it in political speeches. And right. to your point, Axe, my guess is the dial went to like 80 when he said this. It was sort of like uh, um, uh, we used to uh, – the the moving tax, uh, you know, moving your, uh, moving your corporation overseas to avoid taxes was one of those things that shot up into 80%. And you know, again, I think he just did a fairly masterful job of setting out boogeymen that he can go then fight against. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. one of them, one of another of them. I don't think we have this clip, but another of them was the social media platforms. And I bet you that there was a great resonance with a lot of people in this country when he attacked the social media platforms for, uh, you know, the things that they are sending our kids way how the kinds of provocations that are being uh, 
<laughs> sort of. No, I, another winner though. Who knows if, if Zuckerberg picked up the phone and said tweak the algorithm, and now every time you Google Biden, or I'm, I'm mixing the platforms, but he's suddenly going to be in a wheelchair and oxygen. Well, I'll tell you something. We'll never know whether, again, veering into the policy piece, the problem is we'll never know whether Zuckerberg tweaked the algorithm because no one knows what the algorithms are doing, which is one of the problems, no, well, no, no transparency. The, the, yeah, I know, I, I know they do. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 what it really is, it's, it's a mirror on the culture. And it turns out that falling into the orchestra pit will go farther on social media than a thoughtful plan to curb the deficit. You know, so the, 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 the social media algorithms are in the cheap applause business. That's the problem. Your child is still young enough that you're not dealing with this. There are a lot of parents who are worried, you know, we've got increased uh, suicide rate among young girls and yeah. teenage girls and so this is i mean the, just to get back to the politics of it he just got into these nitty-gritty issues that people live with in their lives no and that was the campaign move I, I totally agree those damn baggage fees and and if you cancel a hotel that doesn't have a water slide you get charged i mean look i it's all. I mean, I, next week he's going to do a speech on the green turn right on red arrows aren't long enough. But it's where people are at, and it works. Clinton kind of invented that. Dry cleaning. I would not want to be in the pro-baggage fee party. <laughs> they just called, actually. They want to hire the three of us to manage their problem at 50 grand a month. So we're, we're <laughs> taking this up after the podcast. But yes, look, cheap applause, cheap heat. You know, it works in politics, so I'd say it's a symptom of some bigger problems. It's a bread and circuses deal. So, Gibbs, talk about what the White House is going to do from here with this, because the truth is what happens with State of the Union speeches, I mean, there was a snap poll on CNN last night, which basically showed that Biden did about as well with this speech as he as he's done with past State of the Union speeches, and the you know, there, there can be a, a, a positive impact, but it generally fades pretty quickly. What do you do with this to, A, keep it from not fading and do what you guys uh, suggest he should, which is to take the themes of this and have them permeate everything moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's two big things. The first you'll see him do both today and later in the week uh, is is hit the road and not coincidentally you, you won't be surprised that he's going to uh, uh, one of the maybe the biggest of of swing states or or the closest of swing states in Wisconsin uh, to talk uh, post state of the union uh, today and then he visits I think later in the week he goes to Florida though maybe it's matriculated a bit from being uh, uh, as swing a state as it is it probably could or should be, but people will understand that Social Security and Medicare is going to get brought up there. And I have a feeling, uh, Axe, that by the time he gets to Florida, uh, the name Rick Scott's going to roll off his tongue a little bit more easily than it might have in that chamber last night. So you said he was being polite last yeah, night. Yeah, I, I think the, the politeness will probably end somewhere uh, about 35,000 feet in a 747 as we cross the state line. I did have a small 
question when he said, I'm being polite, so I'm not mentioning his name, whether he couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you were almost to the point where at the political meeting at the White House, somebody was going to say, even Axelrod liked it. And now here you are spiraling. <laughs> no, down no, your, no, 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 no. literally 43 minutes. Of, oh, uh, no, no. Come on. <laughs> the other thing I think, too, is, is David, is, is not only do you have the immediate travel here, but now you've got to start to organize uh, both that travel and and the work and the progress on this, right? You've got one, and again, Murphy mentioned this, this idea of like, how do you start moving out the implementation of some of this stuff? He's already been cutting ribbons on some of these chips factories, but he's going to start going back. They're going to have the process to give out some of this money, yeah. uh, which will, you know, uh, which uh, uh, Murphy's favorite uh, cabinet secretary is going to be in charge of. So he knows it'll run well. Uh, and so you now got, right. you've got to organize to make sure that the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy is is focused on the things you want to sow progress on, because you know we, I mean, we were laughing and joking about baggage fees, but I guarantee you there's going to be a meeting this week at the Department of Transportation uh, on baggage fees, and and because one of the things that the that the Biden and the White House are going to have to do is depend on what he can do through executive right. regulatory, power, yeah, yeah, and yeah. through just the process of making sure these things can happen through cabinet departments rather than because pretty clear you, you didn't have yeah. to listen to the jeering to understand that uh, this stuff isn't going to go through the house and the senate you know i'll bet he will and uh, and it would be fun for him and it would work is go to a chips tour three quick stops an auto plant three thousand chips per car the ohio site somewhere else and invite about a dozen congressional members, repubs and Dems or more, fill up the plane. And all those repubs who have a district where somebody's dropping a billion dollars of new factory, they're all going to just run to the plane. They love the plane. They love cutting ribbons. They love stealing the little Air Force One ashtrays and tchotchkes or whatever they can. The plane will be M&Ms. stripped bare. But the bottom line is they will, and, and he'll, he'll prove his point. And he was very good at everything that worked with That might have been one of his best lines too. Yeah. Let's play that infrastructure line there because it was so true. Yeah. I want to thank my Republican friends who voted for the law and my Republican friends who voted against it as well. But I'm still, I, I still get asked to fund the projects in those districts as well. But don't worry. I promised I'd be a president for all Americans. We'll fund these projects and I'll see you at the groundbreaking. <laughs> and he's so right because they'll be there. Of course, the groundbreaking. All those, all those Republicans who, who oppose the uh, infrastructure law, and some who supported it too, and they ought to be in the front row. But point taken. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break, and now a word from our sponsors. Gibbs, I know that you're wondering why I've been so calm, so relaxed, chipper, even. Yeah, chipper lately. And I got one word for you, and it's called Helix. These Helix mattresses, I, as an obligation of our work, I agreed to try it out. And honest to God, I love the thing and for a whole range of reasons. But I've gotten the best night's sleep on this mattress, and it was such an easy thing to get a mattress that was tailor-made for me. Just tell folks what the Helix people do. Faithful listeners to this podcast will know that uh, nothing, that David loves very few things in the world more than his Helix mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium 
mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleeping preference. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of probably for Axe, luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. So Axe, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? Well, easy. You take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Yeah, man. I took that test and uh, the mattress came and it comes sort of wrapped in plastic uh, in a roll. And you say, well, how could this be this uh, super mattress that they talk about? You cut the thing, you cut the plastic and it unfurls. It's this superb mattress that, you know, if you need soft or medium or firm, you know, there, there are a range of questions that you're asked. And this one was just perfect for me. And let me just say, Hacks on Tap requires people to be sharp because the, <laughs> the repartee is so witty and so insightful that you don't want to miss any of it. So get a good night's sleep. Get a Helix mattress. Your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your home. That's why they offer 100-night free trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Everybody's unique and they sleep differently. That's why Helix has different mattress models to choose from, designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. It's the best mattress that I've ever slept on. And now, we'll tell them what they should do, Gibbs. <laughs> Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. This is the best offer yet, and it won't last long because with Helix, better sleep starts now. You know, I wrote a piece last week in advance of the State of the Union, and one of the things that I said was, jujitsu, take the negative energy of the Republicans and, and use it to your advantage and be big and call for cooperation because they'll look small. And, and, uh, and I think that that uh, worked out. But I'm leading up to a question about the, the response to the State of the Union. And let me preface it by saying that's the most uh, unenviable job in politics. You you know, it's very, very hard to look good giving the response. And nobody cares. I mean, the State of the Union doesn't even move numbers, let alone some poor congressman or governor they stick in a crappy room to struggle through the prompter. Do you remember Murphy? Gibbs is too young, probably. But do you remember uh, Dan Rostenkowski's response to uh, Reagan one year? And, you know, he, it was, you know, right Rosty was his thing. You right. know, I forget the, the the whole gist of it, but it was it was it was memorable because he was a he was a memorable performer. Well, he was a of, classic Chicago. I voted for him eleven times. Steak and oh, cigar, God. old school. <laughs> oh my God! I had a soft spot for him. I mean, his idea of oratory was pull your regular Democratic lever, vote the slate. I wish my wordle streak was as long as your multiple <laughs> voting joke streak is here on Hacks on Tap. But here's where I'm going. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who, you know, I had one encounter with her before she became famous and before she went to work uh, for Trump. And honestly, she she was very, very nice, funny, self-effacing, 
and a perfectly nice person. And reporters liked her when she was when she was the press secretary. Their personal interactions with her. Um, I thought I thought last night's was really strange. I thought that it was so ge- it was so angry and so nasty and geared to the Republican yeah, base. I, I, I couldn't even watch it. And, you know, uh, I mean, I watched about eight but seconds. That doesn't mean thought, you can't comment on it. Well, yeah, no, true. The pundit trick. Um, exactly. No, no. It, the problem was it's like the words went away. Wah, wah, and I just heard Karen, Karen, Karen. And, you know, I was I bailed. So I don't even know where it went. What does that mean? I don't understand. Karen is hip. A slogan, almost a me. No, no, Gibbs in his in his watch cap. Eric Hoffer here shaking his head like the Murphy's hopeless. It's what the kids refer to. The kind of I'm trying to do this in non no microaggressions here. Of course, I'm actually recording this in a hotel room in Berkeley. We have so the I'm, microaggressions filter on, I, so don't worry. <laughs> imagine a disgruntled woman in middle age demanding to talk to a manager. That, that's that's what a Karen would be. You gotta oh. you gotta check your social media, your pop culture. Hannah, our producer, says middle-aged woman, typically blonde, makes solutions to other problems and inconvenience to her, although she isn't even remotely affected. There huh. you go, you sexist. I didn't even know. I mean, this is <laughs> You like, really didn't know what a Karen is? You learned something. Did, did you, <laughs> right. Gibbs? Yes, I did. We're, oh, okay, shit. we're doing a multi-step program here. Nothing has been more enjoyable on this entire podcast than watching the two of you explain it. Hey, I'm the one who knows. So, what is so, that? What? What did he say? We're going to start this slow and steady wins the race. So today we're going to tell you about there's a thing called FM radio. Okay? That's this week. Oh you have to God. put away the 8-track. Oh and then God. we're going to move on to the interweb where people can send pictures that talk. I can't believe Murphy is my guide through yeah contemporary culture the man who's who's every reference is from the 50s and 60s but well that's just because i'm well read but i i can't tell you many <laughs> campaign meetings where the social media kids come in and they're 26 with incredibly complicated eyewear and they kind of look over at grandpa and with the arrogance of youth that i might have once had and i always say listen junior i built my first computer with a soldering iron it was a kit bill gates sold me so lighten up on the but anyway yeah the karen she will be on the cover huckabee Sanders will be on the cover of Karen magazine after that speech. That's the point. She'll be on the cover of Breitbart and she'll be heralded and on Fox. And I think that was her goal. I don't think she was talking yeah. to the whole country. She was talking to the Republican base and she probably scored with the Republican base. But it was particularly odd after a speech in which president very artfully kind of did a lot of reaching out. and Yeah. And I think this is why what Biden did and and what Republicans are going to suffer through for the next 12 to 15 months is the the people that that were jeering him in that chamber were very much embodied in that dark response and that's going to be the Republican response for the next 12 to 15 months while they figure out who their nominee is going to be and it may well be that their nominee ends up being as dark and brooding as uh, well, don't you think that's sort of by definition? I don't know. I do think there's a lane for somebody who's sort of more traditionally conservative that's a little bit more forward thinking yeah. versus thinking that everything is really rooted in this idea that in one AP class, there's a critical race theory. Well, so you don't include DeSantis in the sunny lane? No, I don't, I don't think he's at all in the sunny lane. He might flex into it. 
but yeah, he could have a sunny oscopy and 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 be converted a little, <laughs> little later. It won't be easy. It'll take a team of good doctors. Yeah. But don't assume nothing changes. That that is a mistake. And I thought our interesting line too. You know, we should give a little uh, discussion to you know a, a very interesting line about a new generation of Republican leaders. Which I thought that uh, part was look. I thought that she set up what is really the obstacle for Biden. I mean, I've said it a bunch of times. I've said it here. We could take, all three of us could take Biden's record and get him reelected. With Gina Raimundo, but. <laughs> all right. That's the other but drinking he adds, game. He adds the record with 117 years of experience. That's the <laughs> trick. First president, you have to carbon date, but I'm poop. I got a million of them. I don't want to hear about dating. Let's keep going on. Uh, here. I've already got the Karen thing. I, I don't know. Dear listeners, you, you can you can tell this is the kind of punchy because we're all up late. Yeah. You were probably chained to the CNN desk. Get, getting back to this. I mean, this is the obstacle. And I think he helped himself last night because Definitely. of how engaged and lively and in the moment he, he was. But it's going to be a persistent issue because he's not going to get younger. And, and it is a fair question that he's going to have to answer and one State of the Union yep. speech isn't going to answer no. uh, in, entirely. But I just came back to the Republicans. Well, hang on. Let me just a comment on that. You're right. We know these State of the Union speeches are overrated, but this is the test kitchen for the million hamburgers we're going to go try to sell in the campaign. And they yeah. come up with a pretty good damn hamburger if they can stay on it. So one foot in front of the other, it's a great first step for him. No, there's no doubt. And I thought the burgers were great. I think they were tasty. I think they were probably widely consumed uh, by people who watched. Uh, you know, the question is just whether the whether the the chef in the kitchen can keep grinding out the burgers for another six years, and that's what they're going to have to persuade people. But getting back to the Republican, the Republicans, um, it just seems like the way you get to uh, where you need to go in that party right now, your party, Mike is this kind of grinding dark totally and well they're and, captured by the primary and a lot of republicans now seem to think the general election is just a bigger primary and we've conducted that field experiment a couple of election cycles and we have a pile of rubble to show for it uh and uh, some bad policy so yeah that's where they are now because they're in that feedback loop what has changed, and again, in her remark about time for the new out with the old, it's not hard to know who she's talking about. And that was unthinkable a year ago. Yeah. You know, I thought her stuff on education probably landed. She got to it late. Uh, and it, it seems sort been of the open. weirdly discordant because, you know, after her kind of dystopic beginning, you know, this kind of, you know, hopeful middle seemed like, wow. Out of this wander into this speech, so I thought that was a uh, I thought that was a weird thing, but so on the whole, yeah, you guys are right. This shone a light on problems that the Republican have, as you say, captured in the primary, and it showed uh, how uh, the president can counterpunch as a result of it, uh, yeah. and it may define the dynamic of the campaign. Let me just ask you guys one more thing about the campaign. My theory is that. Their theory over there in Biden land is that they either get Trump or they get a candidate who Trump will then try to destroy because he won't be able to accept, especially if it's DeSantis, 
uh, who he thinks was uh, disloyal. He won't be able to accept the verdict. That's a pretty reasonable theory. Yeah, here's the problem with it, though. It's passive. It's not unlike the original theory that some of the Romney strategists had against Obama. Obama's numbers are terrible on the economy. People are tired of him. He's weak. So all we got to do is like open the headquarters and do some turnout programs, and we're going to win. It's passive. Okay, here's our campaign strategy. The Republicans screw up, either with Trump or DeSantis. Everybody can go home. I would spend all the time thinking about what happens if they do nominate a really strong candidate. May not happen, but let's use our time to fix the scenario where we lose. What I'm saying is that, you know, there were the uh, Bulwark did a poll, Whit Ayers did a poll, and 28% of Republicans said, if Trump were to run as an independent, I'd be with Trump. If Trump does that, or even if Trump says, screw this guy, he's not really one of us. Yeah, and trashes them every day for the last 70 days of the campaign. I mean, you know, we know that these national elections are marginal anyway. Yeah, no, no, it could happen. I totally agree. But if I were Biden, I'd focus on the stuff I can control, not wait to win a lottery delivered to me by the Republicans. I think what we lo saw last night is that he is going to do that relative to the other problem as to whether he just gets thrown out because it's an there's a hunger for a new generation. This is his failsafe against that, that Trump takes the whole party down with him. Could happen. And if you're looking at the Republican side, I mean, one of the things that I think you clearly see playing out is that this, this primary on their side isn't going to get formed for much longer uh, than we might have thought, right? If you look back in like 2008, you know, by this point, you know, everybody had jumped in, you know, everyone was out of the boat and into the water. You know, the campaigns were sort of begun to be fully formed. And I don't think it's just because Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis have to worry about legislative battles in their home states. I think they think to themselves, you know what? I got plenty of money. Uh, I don't I don't need to worry about that part of it. Obviously, the mechanics part of it, they have to. But, you know, if they don't get into a campaign on a day to day basis with somebody like Donald Trump who wants to go you know, who wants to slug it out every single day until the summer or even late in the summer, early in the fall. I think that's why and, and and the reason that you see those guys pushing off those decisions and getting into that ring with him. Because the truth no, is, the longer, the longer that they're in the ring with him, the more likely they are to get beat up. Yeah. yeah, all true, all true. But Biden can politically win the next 15 months and still lose the presidency. I want to single out one Republican quickly. Our friend Mitt Romney made a little news, too. Uh, when he bumped into Madoff-level dreadnought-class con man and creep George Santos and chewed him out on the floor. Is that on his business card, or are you just ad-libbing uh, <laughs> No, I, I, we've made up a few for him. <laughs> so anyway, the media jumped Mitt on the way out, and here's what he said happened, because you could watch it kind of silently. Uh, the, there's some evidence the word ass was used, uh, which is a Romney equivalent of an F-bomb dropped right at him. But let's uh, let's listen to Senator Romney, a, a rare, uh, strong Republican on the vile George Santos question. I didn't expect that he'd be standing there trying to shake hands with every senator <laughs> in the president of the United States. That's, uh, given, given the fact that he's under ethics investigation, he should be sitting in the back row and staying quiet instead of uh, parading in front of the uh, president and uh, and. and people coming into the room. Do he able to respond to you? He says he, uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you got an A when you got an A-. minus. Lying is saying you, you graduated from a college you didn't even attend. 
and, and he shouldn't be in Congress. And uh, they're going to go through the process and hopefully get him out. And uh, but he shouldn't be there. And, and uh, if he had any shame at all, he wouldn't be there. You know, we wanted to get Mitt on quickly to comment on this, but apparently is a Walter Reed getting treated for a burned retina from sitting next to the glow-in-the-dark yellow assault on uh, fashion that uh, Senator Cinema wore. I don't know if you saw that shot. That was quite quite an outfit, but in its own way, interesting. So anyway, kudos to Romney. Yeah, no, no question about it. And and, and the, the whole, his explanation of the situation, the A-plus and A versus saying you... Uh, you graduated from college when you never attended. That was a pretty good summary of the whole situation. I mean, this guy is a, f- a first sort of a pathological liar. It's interesting too. I mean, he's I, you know, Romney giving voice to I think what a lot of people are wondering and and probably have wondered. And if were it not for tight margins, maybe would be different. But yeah. just the sheer idea of. Uh, you know, I love that if he had no shame, if he had any shame, he wouldn't be here. I mean, I think it just offends every sensibility of sort of citizen legislator, uh, citizen legislator uh, that Romney has. He just he, he look, he emptied the gun on that one. He he, he went just all in on it. And, uh, you know, I, I continue to think Santos isn't going to make it two years. I think the feds are going to get involved and it's all going to be over. Well, I think everybody's coming to that conclusion. And the fact is, if they had a 20-vote margin instead of a four-vote margin, they would have booted them now because right. they, they run the risk of losing that seat. McCarthy can't afford, can't afford to do it. it. But what a yeah. terrible position to be in. Hey, you know Romney very well, uh, Murphy. Uh, and it is really, it's, kind of, it's fun to watch him in this stage of his life because he really doesn't give a damn, right, <laughs> about what Ed is hard. He's Elliot Ness, and he's had it, and he's not thinking that much about politics. So he's just out there doing the right thing. And the tragedy is he's often alone. I talked to him years ago about his dad, uh, George Romney, who was, you know, an apostate in the Republican Party, challenged Goldwater, challenged uh, the war in Vietnam, and uh, paid a political price for it. And uh, so it really feels like at the at the end of his political career, Mitt Romney is channeling his dad and is, you know, he's he's become the conscience of the Senate and he really seems to be enjoying playing that role. No, no, I think he's he's doing his bulwark thing a little bit. But I'll tell yeah. you, he was that when he was governor, when we first came in, the pres- all-powerful Democratic president of the state Senate was a guy named Bulger. And his brother was yeah. a, a murderous yeah. felon who was on the lam, and he wouldn't cooperate in any way with legislators. Yeah. He had left the Senate, and he had a big, cushy job as president of a university. And every poll in the state house came to Mitt, the new governor, and said, uh, you know, you got to leave this guy alone. He'll destroy you politically. He's still got the biggest favor bag on Beacon Hill. He's so in the, you're, you'll be dead. And I remember Romney listened to it all. And at the end of the day said, fire him tomorrow morning. You know, it was, he wouldn't bend an inch, yeah. um, on a, on a point of principle. And that's, that's who he is. And, uh, I, uh, I just wish it would catch on with a few more. There are a few, but there, there sure could be more. A lot of them think that privately, almost everything you hear from Romney, yeah. but they don't have the guts to do anything about it. Yeah, well, he also has the freedom of knowing that, I mean, I don't know if he'll run for re-election or not, but he doesn't need the job. And a lot of them are so invested in the job and their identity is so tied up with the job that they know it's right, but they also want to come back. 
Yeah, though, if this new uh, this new tax hike thing goes through, we may need the extra money. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've got to check with them. It's looking dire. Guys, I think we went a little late to get our special episode out here today. I know we've all got places to be, so I think we're going to punt on the mailbag, if that's okay. Yeah, but I have one I have one announcement. I know. There's a big one. Big one. Yes. Uh, can we have a Tiffany roll, Jeff? Something to build this up to the status it well deserves? <laughs> That is the lamest. <laughs> Can't we pay another $5 to the needle drop uh, hey, uh, man, online we have site a, for We have a budget here. Just that was Murphy second. on the snare drum. That was not a t- <laughs> Oh. Wow. Now, uh, now, okay. we're, now we go. It's now still not there, but we're taking it. Good enough for podcasting. Good. That actually sounds like Murphy's stomach after a hoagie. But uh, <laughs> hey, I just want to say this is the last episode for our founding executive producer, Allison Siegel, who is, uh, has meant so much to us, means so much to me, and uh, it is a really, really tough day because uh, saying goodbye is very hard, but we're so grateful to her for everything she's done, including uh, sampling some of the products that we didn't sample. Uh, <laughs> I won't mention them because I don't want to lose any sponsors although they may be gone allison thank you for everything you've done for us you listeners have no idea because we're <laughs> going to be crippled now we have the excellent hannah to help us but allison puts up she has to teach david axelrod that no podcasting is not done on you know myspace and uh uh deals with the temperamental hacks once what's even- myspace I don't even know. Allison, before you go, would you tell me about yeah, that? Yeah, we're, we're, we're get you a primer on it. The She has to deal with the fact that we're all blabbermouths. So once we said, well, let's stopwatch, how long we all, boom, the watch <laughs> broke. And I won't tell you who broke the watch, but it, it rhymes with Vasselzod. <laughs> and, and sometimes there's grumpy morning hacks. We tend to record this at least early California time. And boy, they might not have had their coffee. So... We are, and and she has to deal with the business side of this vast empire here, which is kind of like an Italian car company in the seventies with it with its own challenges. So, salute. We wouldn't have done it yeah. without you, Allison. Yeah. In short, Allison makes David's life and has made it immensely easier. It makes our lives easier in trying to get onto the schedule or the phone of David's life. So. Uh, Allison, we will we will miss you greatly, uh, and thank you for everything in making our lives a little easier. And we wish you luck in the future. And we should say to our listeners that she is taking on an assignment far more important than Hacks on Tap, and uh, that's a little girl named Harper who uh, needs her. And uh, I'm sure that we will hear more from Allison down the line. Okay, guys, the state of our podcast is strong. Uh, but like Joe Biden, we've run o- over the allotted hours. So sayonara, guys. We'll be back next week with a mailbag. Thank you all. Talk soon. 